So I wanted to share with you guys um, just some of the stories about the relationship between me and my father. If you're following me here on my channel, I appreciate that. Uh, you've probably heard me mention another channel that I'm a co-content co creator for, for our ministry, Connect Global. The channel is called The Connection here on Anchor. And if you're following us on The Connection, then you will have heard a couple of weeks ago I did an interview with my father. Uh, my mother and father currently are prison ministers, and they have had a prison ministry now for uh, almost 40 years. Next year will be their 40th anniversary in their prison ministry. They minister primarily in the Texas prison system. They do marriage seminars in the Texas prison system, as well as uh, they have traveled, and especially my dad has traveled all over the world. He's been in prisons in, I think the number is like 25 or 26 different nations around the world, in Central America, Africa, Europe, former Soviet Union, North America, kind of all over the place. And uh, they have been married, they just celebrated their 45th wedding anniversary earlier this year, and they would tell you that they've been married for 45 years, and about 15 of those have been happy. Uh, the rest were, were tumultuous. And um, to give you a little bit of a, a background on, on my dad, my grandfather and grandmother on my father's side, whom I never met, were very different uh, people, really from one another, as I understand the story. All of my family is from West Texas, the Lubbock, Texas area. My grandmother was a Christian. She prayed for herself and her family and her children. She had five children. My dad is one of five um, kids. And uh, my grandfather, was a very mean alcoholic, uh, as I understand it. He would take my father, when my father was a, a young boy, 12 years old, 13 years old, that sort of deal, and would take him into, into a bar and tell him, okay, Johnny, my dad's name is Johnny, I want you to go over there and knock that guy off of his bar stool. And uh, so my dad would walk up to some stranger sitting on a bar stool and knock him off the bar stool. And then when the man would, would be all mad and want to get up and fight, then my grandfather would get up and, uh, you know, challenge this guy that he just attacked, you know, via his son. So he taught my father to be a mean man from the time he was, he was a child. Um, that was the lifestyle that my father grew up in. My grandfather was a truck driver, an over-the-road truck driver. He would drive trucks all over. Uh, West Texas, all over the central United States, and you know maybe all sorts of parts of the United States. And he would drink. He was a, he was an alcoholic. Um, he was uh, my whole family on my father's side. At this point in time, was uh, very physical, very mean, very violent. A lot of alcohol uh, in the family. My father is six foot tall, and he's a pretty big guy. He's a he's a broad man he's just got a big bone structure and he is the runt of his family uh, he had uh, two brothers and a sister that were all taller than him and then one sister that was that was a little bit shorter his oldest brother my uncle AJ who has uh, now passed away was like six six or something like that he was just a huge man my father has uh, an uncle who had six sons the shortest of the sons was like six foot six and like three out of the six boys were incarcerated you know were in prison 
So this is just the kind of kind of family dynamics that my father grew up in uh, as a child. So from a very young age, my father, his brothers, his sisters, they just learned to be angry, violent alcoholics. Um, that was the that was the family. That's that's how the family was. My dad would say that they would all get together for family reunion. You know, get all the cousins and everybody there together, and they'd all have a good time and drink until somebody got mad, and then they'd all go in the front yard and have a big fight and just beat the heck out of each other. That was just sort of the, the way he grew up. Uh, because of that, or, you know, from that lifestyle, he defines himself as a non-achiever. He uses these terms for himself, that as a child, he was a non-achiever. He was told as a kid he was never going to amount to anything. Uh, he was told that he was a non-achiever. Um, he ended up trying to go to college, sort of flunked out of college, went into the Air Force, got stationed in Puerto Rico for three and a half years, and he said really all he learned how to do in Puerto Rico was play poker and drink rum. So that was his you know, three and a half year military career. He came out of the Air Force just disconnected from his friends and society, and so uh, as he puts it, he quote unquote found a motorcycle, and uh, he stripped it down. It was a big Harley Davidson police cruiser. He stripped it down and turned it into a chopper uh, and became an outlaw motorcycle biker. You know, he a one percenter. You know, in a, in a, in a big, well-known motorcycle club, and that became his life for several years. He rode uh, in a in a club um, as a biker. I mean, I'm talking about you know Sons of Anarchy kind of deal. Exactly what you would see. Had a long beard. Had a ponytail, used to carry a pistol in his boot all the time, uh, smoking dope, shooting dope, drinking whiskey, the whole, you know, everything that you would imagine about a biker culture lifestyle, that was the, the lifestyle that, that he lived. While he was in the Air Force, his mother, who had prayed for him all of his life, passed away. And uh, he saw her just a few weeks before she died, and he was still... Um, I'm sorry, he was already out of the Air Force, but he was already moving into the biker culture at that time that she passed away. Long beard, long ponytail, just a wreck, you know, really kind of a wreck of a, of a person. And uh, he was able to visit her. She passed. Uh, his father was still alive. His brothers and sisters were still alive at, at that time. And uh, he spent time in, in this motorcycle culture and he came out of the motorcycle culture in a difficult way and in, in not a very good way and he had to go into hiding for about a year uh, and during that time he just had to sort of live underground where, where nobody knew where he was at so towards the end of this year a uh, uh, a young lady invited him to go to church with her and he was more interested in the lady than the church you know what I'm saying so he says, sure, you know, if you want to go to church, that's great, you know. Uh, I just want to go on a date with you. If it's to the church house, fine. So he goes to church, and the way he describes the story is when he walked in the door, he walks in the door, you know, with with uh, just dirty and just still with the beard, still with the ponytail, literally carried his pistol in his boot into church, you know, I guess in case somebody tried to attack him in church, you know, and uh, carries his, his, his gun into the church house and, um, this this man, he says, a man in a three-piece suit walked up to him, gave him a big hug and said, man, I love you. I'm so glad that you're here. God bless you. Thank you for coming. He said, man, I almost punched that dude. He said, this guy, you know, just is like rolling up on me. He's like, man, get off of me. You know, I don't even know who you are. 
right? But he goes in and uh, he started listening to the message and in that church in Lubbock, Texas, it's called Trinity Church, they were having a revival and so he said there were people that he knew from the streets. There were other, um, there were prostitutes that he knew, there were other gang members that he knew, there were drug dealers that he knew who were now sitting in this church hearing the word of God and like sitting right next to people, you know, who are millionaires right here in this church all, all mixed together. So here he's sitting in this church and just watching what's going on and it really starts affecting him. So he started coming back to the church even without the girl. He would just come back and just watch what was going on and, and hear the message until one night, the last Sunday night in March and would be about 1970, 1971, something like that. Uh, he comes to church and uh, a man who was the youth pastor was there uh, preaching and he gets done preaching the message uh, and the way the church was built it was kind of a, a, a rounded shaped auditorium and in the top of the church there was a skylight and so the guy gets done preaching the message and he gives an altar call for people who want to respond to the message and give their lives to to Jesus and the choir stood up behind the preacher to start singing and my father says that when they started singing Everything just went silent, and all he could hear was his mother singing through the skylight in this uh, church, the song that she used to sing when he was a kid, the song, Oh, come, angel band, come and around me stand. Oh, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. his mother singing through the skylight and his heart just broke he said he he got up and he starts running literally like running in the church towards the the altar and the church was on a slant you know at this point in time my dad's probably 350 pounds he's a big guy long beard long ponytail pistol in his boot and he's just running weeping you know to the altar and he ends up tackling the the youth pastor you know who had, who had preached the message there you know he's kind of freaking out and they end up praying for him, and, and he gets saved. He gets saved that day. He gives his heart to Christ. He gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. He starts speaking in heavenly language, and it's prophesied over him that he's going to live his life without fear. He was living in such a state of fear at that time. And uh, he's now going to live his life without fear and was called into ministry. And he's been a preacher ever since that day. So it's just this radical transformation uh, in his life, this radical salvation uh, in his life. Sometime after that, about a year, maybe not even a year, but several months after that, he meets my mother uh, in January of 1972. He meets my mother in January. They start dating in February. They get married in March uh, of that year. So they literally knew each other like three months. They would not <laughs> recommend that. Uh, so they get married and then they start this uh, life together. So here they are. My mother basically grew up in church. You know, she's been in church all of her life in a very quiet, very conservative uh, Christian home. My father, you know, brand new to Christ, coming from 
this home culture that was very loud and very abusive and very violent and full of alcohol and all this stuff. So they get married and start trying to have this life together. Within just a few months, they get pregnant with me. They were married in 1972. I was born in 1973. My mother already had a child. She had been married before. Uh, she had a son, my older brother. So they get married already with a kid. Then I'm coming along, you know, right on the heels of, of them coming together. And so when you bring two people together of very different lifestyles and, and very different family cultures, there can be challenges. You know, the Bible says that that we are saved immediately. When we receive Jesus, we are saved. Uh, and it also says that we're going through the process of salvation. And the Bible also says that we will be saved. And so it's like, how can you have three different uh, time contexts in the same um, experience of, of salvation? And the, the difference is this. We are triune beings like God. The Bible says we're created in the image of God and God is, is displayed in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what we would call the Holy Trinity. And uh, that is a phenomenal mystery that I won't even try to theologically talk about at this point. We can talk about it later if you want to. But we are created in that image. It doesn't necessarily mean that God looks like us or we look like Him, but that we're created in the same sort of way that He's created. So we have three parts to ourselves as well. We, have a, we are a spirit we have a soul and we live in a body. So our bodies are made up of our bones, our muscle tissue, uh, and, and, our, and our blood. Those are kind of the three main components of the body. The soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Those are kind of the three parts of the soul. And then we have this spirit inside of us. And uh, I've been studying about the spirit, trying to understand that. My father says that he believes the spirit is made up of our imagination, our inspiration, and our intuition. So the Bible tells us that when we're saved, our spirit is immediately saved. Our spirit is immediately brought to life. Our spirit is immediately made one with Christ. The Bible tells us that our bodies are going to be saved in the resurrection when we go to heaven. But that our souls are being saved, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so you think about this, the way in which we think, the way in which we feel, uh, our, our, our emotions, whether we have maturity and self-control over our emotions and our will, you know, the things that we choose to do, uh, having control of our will, mastery of our will. You listen to, to um, most people talking about um, mental health issues. You listen to people lots of times talking about uh, uh, success issues and it's, and it's self-leadership, self-management, mastery over self. That's the issues of the soul. How's my mind? How's my thought life? What am I thinking about? Am I thinking good thoughts about myself or bad thoughts about myself? How's my emotions? Do I have emotional control? Am I emotionally mature? You know, or do I just react every time somebody you know offends me? Do I just fly off the handle and I have no emotional mature, no emotional maturity? Um, and then our will, man. I want to do X, Y, Z, and I want to start a podcast, but I'm just not disciplined enough to do it. Those are the dynamics of the soul. And the Bible teaches us that through a process of what's what we call sanctification, which is the working out of the soul of submitting our mind, our will, and our emotions to Christ. That is a process. That does not happen immediately. That is a process that people work through. So here's my father, a brand new Christian. His spirit has been made alive in Christ. He's, he's saved. He loves Jesus. But he has these soul issues 
that lingered from his upbringing, from his family dynamics. And uh, so he grew up with, with rage in his family. And so he knew how to rage. And so he brought rage into his marriage. My father was, was never physically abusive, um, but he was not very emotionally mature, you know, as a, as a new husband. And for many, many years of his life, for probably the first 20, 25 years of my parents' marriage, most of my childhood, there was just tension. Uh, there was a book written several years ago called Adult Children of Alcoholics. And it talks about what happens in an adult's life when they grow up uh, as the child of an alcoholic. And that was displayed in my father's life, my uncle's life, and in all of his siblings' lives. And of all of his siblings, he was really the first one to come to Christ. And so it took probably two and a half decades, really, of growth on his part. So uh, that's a long introduction to, to get to some of these uh, situations between me and my dad. So I grew up always very proud of my dad and always loving my father. And always, as every child does, whether male or female, wanting and needing my father's affirmation. Every young boy, every young girl has an internal question that only their father can answer. And if the father does not answer that, it results in problems for that boy or girl. If the father answers that poorly, that question, it can result in, in problems for that boy and girl. There was a, a book written several years ago called Wild at Heart, and he talks about the question of young men asking of their fathers, do I have what it takes? You know, can I, can I go out and do what I need to do in this world? Do I have what it takes? And their father can answer that question or not. And young girls, if they have the question of, do you see me? Do you delight in me? Am I delightful? And if their father answers that question, good or bad, it has implications in their life. Well, my father did not know this. He did not know how to answer that question. He did not know how to, to, to affirm me as a young man and answer the questions that were growing in, in my heart and life. And so there was always tension. I always loved my father. I was always very proud of my father. But we just had tension uh, in the home. The same with my older brother and my father, my younger sister and my father. And he worked through these issues in his life. But there were times as a teenager that I just pushed away, pushed away um, so, so hard from him. So around 15, 16 years old, I started drinking. I got involved in alcohol uh, pretty heavily. I decided, hey, I just, you know, I, I didn't consciously think this, but I was basically moving towards becoming a teenage alcoholic. Um, so that was part of just tension. I remember one time there was a kind of a big blow up in our house and my father's sort of raging. He's all upset. And uh, I remember saying to him, I just need a break. I just need a vacation. And he's like, yeah, no, our family needs a break. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I need a break from you. I just need to be away from you. And ended up leaving the house and uh, went and lived with my uncle, my father's brotherhood. Subsequently got saved, come to Christ. Uh, he's got a wild testimony as well, but he had uh, come to Christ and was working with my father uh, in a drug and alcohol rehab program that they had. And so I left the house and, and I, went and, I went and stayed with, with my father, I mean with my uncle uh, for a period of time because I just needed to be out of that dynamic. I needed to be out of that place. I just felt like there was no connection. There was no uh, affirmation. My father, I didn't know this at the time. I didn't understand it at the time, but I look back on it now and realize my father was not answering that question for me. Do I have what it takes uh, to be in this world? And all that I could remember was the rage 
of my father. So I remember my father traveled a lot. He had this prison ministry that he started. He would travel around and speak. And so I remember as a young, young child, there were birthdays that, that were missed. My birthdays that were, were missed by my father. Um, uh, I remember being excited when he would travel and he would come home. I remember being excited that he was back home, but then also kind of being afraid. You know, I remember as a family, we would sort of walk around on eggshells because we didn't really know if today he was going to be happy or if today he was going to be upset. We just weren't sure what the dynamics were going to be that day. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys, your, your fathers have been ragers and, um, you know, you, you've witnessed the dynamics of never really knowing what you're going to get that day. And again, while my father loved Jesus and loved his family, he had these issues in his soul that, that he needed to work out. And there were times that he got it right. You know, there were times that, that he would uh, discipline us as kids and we needed it, you know, in, in rage. But there were times that he got it right. I remember one time in junior high school, I had uh, was in shop class and was just bored, and so I destroyed a uh, piece of equipment in the shop class. It was an air conditioner, and I started just sitting there during class and tearing it up. So over a couple of days, I'm I'm destroying this piece of equipment. And one day I get caught by the teacher, and the teacher says, "Okay, you have to write a you know a two-page report on whatever." Well, I didn't do it, and so every day he would add another page, add another page, add another page, and I'm like, "Whatever, dude." So I just you know never did it. And um, so one day I'm in shop class and it comes over the, you know, the intercom, please send Travis Moffitt to the principal's office, please send Travis Moffitt to the principal's office. I'm like, oh my God. So I go to the principal's office and there's the principal and my dad, right? And so the principal is kind of explaining the scenario to my dad. So my dad stands up and goes to take off his belt to give a spanking. Now I know you can't spank kids nowadays, but back in the day we just got whoopings. I don't know, you know, give me some applause if you got a whooping or let me, you know, give me a call in or something. You know what I'm talking about? So he's just ready to take off his belt and give me a whooping right there in the principal's office. And the principal says, oh, no, Mr. Moffat, you can't do that here. He says, no problem. So he signs me out of school, takes me home, gives me the whooping. And then afterwards, we didn't even go in the house. We got to the house, front yard, whooping, back in the van. And then he picks me up. And I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm like 12 years old or 13 years old. I was in junior high school. And he picks me up and sets me in his lap and just holds me while I'm crying, you know, from this from this spanking. And I, I always look back on that moment as a time that he disciplined his son and he got it right. You know, I needed the discipline. I needed the whooping. But I needed the hug from my father as well. And uh, he was able to provide both. So there were those times that, 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 that he nailed it. But there were times that that he didn't, that it was just rage. It was just anger anger. So you fast forward several years. Uh, I go off to college in Dallas. We had grown up in Georgia. My parents had moved back to Dallas and then I moved to Dallas also and went to a school called Christ for the Nations uh, there in Dallas. Um, I met my wife, uh, Gina. We fell in love. We got married, go through all of school. And as I'm now in uh, a husband and, you know, a young husband and now married, I'm able to start talking about these, just this pain that I had with my father over all of these years. Um, and my wife was, was very, very helpful to me in that because when you're in a condition, when you're in a situation of unconditional love, 
that is an opportunity for you to have healing in your life. And that was where I found myself, was, was in a relationship with my wife of unconditional love. And that allowed me to start being healed from, from some of these issues in my heart. And I had to go through that healing process first before I could address it with my father. And so one night we were at my parents' house uh, there in Dallas. My wife and I were, were over visiting and we're getting ready to leave. And it's late at night and uh, we, we get into the car and I just start crying. You know, I'm a, I'm a young man. I'm probably 20, 21 years old, something like that. And I just start crying. I'm sitting in the car. And I'm just weeping because of all of this pain, uh, you know, having to do with my father is all surfacing now in my life. I tried to suppress it. I just tried to not talk about it. I had always felt like as a kid, you know, I couldn't express my feelings and, and couldn't be angry because anger was just ugly, you know, in our household. So I'm sitting in, you know, my parents' front yard in the car with my wife crying and we're talking for like an hour. And finally my father comes out, he, you know, he noticed that we were still sitting there and he's like, are you guys okay? And I'm like, yeah, I need to come in and talk to you. And so this was probably the first time in my life that I began to realize that offense and pain, people cause pain, people cause offense in your life. But then how we receive that is our responsibility. And so I walked into the house and uh, there, there had been just some change in my heart where I could sit down with my father and tell him, look, I, you know, you hurt me. You hurt me in these times. You hurt me missing my birthday. You hurt me when you would rage. You hurt me when you would, would you, when you would yell, but I know you were doing the best you could. You were doing the best that you know, know how to do. And so I want you to know that I forgive you. I forgive you for the pain that you have instilled into my heart and into my life. And I want to have a better relationship with you. That was really the beginning of healing in our relationship. My father sat there and listened to me really just kind of pour my heart out to him. And um, that was that was very, very helpful, uh, I think, for both of us. At the same time, my father was was going through changes and challenges in his life. And, and he and my mom were, were you know, the, the tension in their relationship was really coming to the surface and they started seeking marriage counseling. They've been married, you know, 20 years at this point. And they start seeking marriage counseling and, and getting help for their own marriage, which was very helpful for their marriage relationship as well as for my father personally. Uh, you fast forward a couple of years, I got a job with a big retail company. We were living there in Dallas and then the, with this retail company, I moved to Tampa and I was growing in the company, moving up in the company and I get a call one day that my father has had his second heart attack. My mother called me and uh, he had had a heart attack when he was 57 and this was some years later, he had had another heart attack. There was a major, major heart attack right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And my mom calls and says, look, you, you need to get here because they're still not sure. You know, it, this was a major deal. He's, he's, they think he's gotten through the worst of it, but they're just still really not sure. So my wife and I jump in a car, we drive to Nashville. And as we're driving up there, I remember the story, I remember this incident that had happened years and years prior. When I was about 16 years old, my father would travel around, he would speak at churches all over the United States. And one time I was traveling with him, it was just me and him. And uh, we go to this church on like a Sunday night service somewhere in central Georgia. And uh, while my father's speaking, I look up and I see a, a, a bucket of water on the stage and I just felt in my heart that I should wash my dad's feet. But I didn't understand that. I didn't know what that meant. And, uh, and I don't want to disrupt service or anything like that, so I didn't do it. So that night we go back to the hotel and I asked my dad, I said, what does it mean when you wash somebody's feet? 
And he said, well, that's a, a thing from the Bible. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And there are other examples of people washing people's feet. And it means that you're committing yourself to serve that person. And so I'm like, heck no, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm 16 years old. I'm still in this, oh, let me get away from my dad kind of a deal. You know, I love my dad. I want to be with him. I don't want to be with him. This sort of tension. And I'm like, there's no way I'm washing your feet if that means I'm committing myself to a life of service to you. You know, not going to do it. But I really felt like God had told me to do this. Now, fast forward, I'm about 26 or 27. So it's, you know, it's just 10, 11 years later. No, actually, I think I'm almost 30. So it's almost 15 years later. My father has this major heart attack. Maybe he's going to live. Maybe he's going to die. And I'm like, God told me to wash his feet and I haven't done it. And I need to be obedient. And so I get to the hospital there in Nashville. We drive from Tampa where we were living up to uh Nashville, I get to the hospital, I walk in the room, and if you've ever seen somebody after a heart attack, I mean, it's it's ugly. You know, he's basically gray. He's got tubes coming out of, you know, his chest, and they had done, you know, uh, quadruple bypass surgery. They put a defibrillator pacemaker in his chest, all this stuff. He's just kind of um, in recovery. And so I waited until everybody left the room, and I took a towel, and I washed my father's feet knowing full well what that would mean for the rest of my life. I washed his feet. And at that moment, something significantly changed in my heart. When I committed myself to serve this man who I had had so many problems with, my heart changed. And that further um, completed the forgiveness that I was extending to him and uh, sort of the balm of healing over our hearts in our relationship with one another. Things began to change significantly in our relationship. My wife and I, from that point, became much more involved in missions ministry. Uh, it was right after that we took our first trip to Honduras. And that really just sparked this, this calling in our lives to be missionaries. Uh, we spent several years leading teams into Honduras for the church we were attending there in Tampa at the time. And then for a season of time, we moved back to Dallas and actually worked for my mother and father in their ministry. And uh, we had time going to Mexico together, going into prisons in Mexico, and we would go into the prisons with them in Texas. And then we felt the desire and really the calling to launch Connect Global, the ministry that we have today. And so that was about six years ago that we launched Connect Global. And my father said... When I said, look, Dad, I've got to leave and I've got to launch my own ministry, Connect Global, he said to me, he said, I support you fully and we will be your biggest supporters. And they have been both financially as well as emotionally and in prayer support and everything. And now we've been able to start doing ministry together. So we've gone into prisons together. I traveled with my father last November to Cuba he traveled with me a month ago to Honduras, and we were able to do all this uh, ministry there together. We're going back to Cuba next May together, and we'll go back to Honduras next year uh, together. And it's just been delightful. It's been wonderful. It's, it's the best season of my life in regards to my, late, my relationship with my father because he's been able to grow in his own issues, in his soul, but I've been able to grow and I've been able to come to a place to forgive him and then really be able to honor him and respect him and, and lend to him the credibility that he rightfully deserves. I mean, he's earned a doctorate's degree 
for his studies. He's been given an honorary doctorate's degree, which I still say he's earned for his, his whole life. And I want to honor that and respect that. And it's really been an opportunity for us to, um, over these years, to, to come together in a whole new relationship that we've never experienced before. Even in the birth of my son, we did a dedication for my son at our house. And my father kind of led that, uh, baptizing my son as a baby and just speaking blessings over his life as a baby. And uh, so it's just been amazing. So I just wanted to share some of these stories because I know that there are other people out there who just have tension with with their father. Um, The role of a father is so, so important. The things that a father speaks into the life of their children is so incredibly important. And how your relationship with your father is or was affects your life. And I want you guys to know that even if the relationship with your father is is bad or was bad that there can be healing in that and I know there are situations where you know people have negative relationships with their father and their father has since passed away the reality is is that the Bible speaks of God as a heavenly father and he can truly bring healing into your heart regarding the relationship with your father whether or not your father ever changes guys the beginning of healing in my heart had to do with me forgiving my father it didn't have to do with any changes on on his side now I'm grateful to God every day for the growth and the changes and the maturity on his in his life and him taking responsibility for himself and getting counseling and getting help and the things that he needed to grow but the healing in my heart started with me coming to a place of saying I can forgive my father I heard several years ago somebody say that uh, forgiveness is defined as giving up the right to get someone back who has hurt you and my father had hurt me but I needed to give up the right of giving, of getting him back and forgiving him. And that forgiveness is what has led to the healing in my heart and helped facilitate a beautiful relationship that I, that I now have with my dad. So I wanted to share that with you guys. Feel free to, to, to call in or not, applaud or not. I hope that's meaningful to you. I hope it's a, a blessing to you in your life and I hope it's encouraging that regardless of the condition of your relationship with your father today, It can be better tomorrow, and God can help you do that by giving you the grace and the power to offer forgiveness and subsequently reconciliation. So I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. God bless you. I appreciate you guys. Take care.